Our scripture this morning is from Acts, second chapter, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all of these who are speaking Chaldeans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. I apologize in advance for any movie spoilers I may commit in my attempts to provide context for the films I will be referencing. <laughs> Most of these films are adapted from novels and short stories. These versions offer even deeper explorations of the themes I will explore. So I wholeheartedly encourage you to track down and read the fiction of Arthur C. Clarke, Stanislav Lem, Carl Sagan, and Ted Chiang. The story of Pentecost has always seemed outlandish to me. Amid a gale-force wind, tongues of flame cling to early Christians without burning them as they speak in the many languages of the world, so that what they say is understood by the diverse crowd that has gathered, no matter where in the world they are from. Peter offers an interpretation in the moment that has apocalyptic overtones describing a great and glorious day of blood, fire, and mist 
when the sun will darken and the moon will turn to blood. It has all the trappings of a science fiction blockbuster. Alien is a reasonable adjective to describe all of it. Beyond the striking imagery, what resonates with me in this story is the surprise and confusion generated by people's awareness that they are actually understanding each other. Many of those present must have been moved to hear others speak in the language of their homelands. How that must have transported each listener instantly. The story stands in diametrical contrast to the recounting of the Tower of Babel in Genesis. The account of Pentecost from Acts actually closes the circle on the older narrative. The First Testament people who spoke a universal language had the hubris to try to build a tower that would reach upwards to God. And the consequence was fragmentation into mutually incomprehensible languages. One Testament later, we find the reunification of these languages as God comes down in the form of the Holy Spirit to restore what was broken. There is a neat symmetry to this that conveys the deep power of language described in the epigraph on the cover of your order of worship. In the farcical science fiction series that begins with The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Douglas Adams contrived a nifty device called the Babel Fish, which resolves the pervasive problem genre writers face in making communication possible between humans and aliens. Back in the 90s, the web services giant Yahoo named their online translation software Babelfish after this device, showing either deference to Adam's genius or, more likely, the penchant for science fiction that is rampant among software developers. <laughs> in the novel, as on the web, Babelfish enabled people spread across the world or universe to understand each other in unprecedented ways. Communication among different species is always central in science fiction. And for stories of first contact with alien species, this concern takes center stage. But how do you even begin talking to aliens? As a first observation, I would suggest re-examining any first contact film through the comparative lens of direct communication with God, as depicted, for instance, in the Pentecost story. Let's try a few. In 2001, a space odyssey, communication begins through sacred geometry, evident in the proportions of a monolith that keeps popping up at various key points in the evolution of human intelligence and technology. In Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Common language is music and a healthy dose of crazy-making blood. And E.T., it springs from a healing ritual. In Solaris, individuals must come to terms with their own emotions and relationships to even begin to understand a planet-sized alien intelligence. Doesn't all of this remind you of the key elements of worship? Imagery, music, healing, Healing relationships. Each a different language seeking to express the inexpressible. 
each seeking to communicate with and about God. Perhaps the connection between sci-fi and religion is not so frivolous after all. Is it possible that God resembles a technologically superior alien race? That might be pushing it. A more probing comparison comes from examining how we would feel when faced with either. Arguably, the most important of these feelings is awe. Awe is a curious mixture of rapturous adoration and fear. We might be amazed and astounded at the awesomeness of God or the aliens, but we might also feel afraid that they might condemn or destroy us, that we are too base or unworthy to survive the encounter. There is also the sudden and irreversible realization of not being alone. This can be both wonderful and scary. Consider how humanity has had to alter its sense of itself over the course of history. For millennia, humanity fancied itself to be at the center of creation. Then Copernicus and Galileo came along presenting a different view in which the sun displaced the earth as the center of the solar system, a claim that raised the ire of the church authorities. It wasn't just religious orthodoxy that had to adjust. It was the sense of our place in the cosmos. And it hasn't stopped there. We have since discovered that we live on the outer edge of a galaxy that contains billions of stars exactly like our own, many with their own planets, and that there are just as many galaxies out there as stars in our own Milky Way, and that there may even be a mind-bending multiverse of countless parallel universes, each containing their own innumerable galaxies, stars, and planets. Such thoughts can make us feel quite small. A different sort of shift would occur should there be a definitive meeting between humanity and an alien species. How would this alter the narrative of God's people? What if the aliens have a vastly different ethical system? Suddenly, we may not only feel small in this cosmos, we may begin to feel we have lost our special place as the pinnacle of God's creation. You might even feel downright unimportant. Certainly, we would no longer feel ourselves to be at the head of the class in terms of intelligence and capability. There are other reactions, other possible reactions as well, some divisive. In both the films in which I'm particularly interested, Robert Zemeckis's Contact and Denis Villeneuve's Arrival, the first encounters with alien intelligence provoke a distrust among different groups and the emergence of fanatical cults with destructive aims. These films would be tragic if their stories stopped there. Fortunately, in both films, the protagonists push through fear, both the public's and their own, to embrace deeper truths. Let's begin with contact. The basic premise is that distinguished astronomer Dr. Eleanor Arroway is spearheading a research project called SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, much to the dismay of our colleagues who consider this to be fringe science. A 
Against all odds, just as her funding is about to run out, Dr. Arroway discovers a signal that appears at first as a simple recitation of numbers, but rapidly grows in complexity, revealing itself to be a signal from aliens that uses the only truly universal language of mathematics. We quickly move from a digital handshake to encoding the plans for a device that will allow humans to meet the aliens face-to-face -face a galaxy away. Dr. Arroway, a scientific skeptic, does not leave anything to fate in her close encounters with Palmer Joss, progressive minister and spiritual advisor to the president. The patriarchy sidelines her for her lack of religious conviction when important decisions are made. In the end, though, she is chosen to make the first contact with the aliens. Ellie's voyage seems to her to last for hours while only an instant passes here on Earth. This discrepancy creates a curious inversion in which Ellie finds herself standing alone on the side of belief, confronted by the doubt of the world. Ellie Arroway's response in a congressional hearing is, I was given something wonderful, something that changed me forever. Ellie's transformation derives from the power of love and the sublime connections it creates. She experiences the first contact with an alien who has taken the form of her father, who died when she was young. A foundation of trust enables the discovery of a common language between them. Her personal transformation anneals her faith in her own experience making it strong enough to stand against the resistance of public disbelief. Contact reminds us that matters of personal faith and belief lie beyond proof. Paradoxically, this does not make them any less universal in importance or relevance. Our belief is driven by our experience of the numinous, the indescribable divine experiences of nature, of birth, of death. It is deeply personal, yet expansive in dynamic and scope, as Pentecost must have been for those who participated in it. But, as it is not replicable, it is beyond the ken of science. Contact does not neatly wrap up the divide between science and faith, nor should it. It reveals the complexity with which these strategies for cosmic understanding are intertwined. Some of us might find it easier to identify with skeptical Ellie Arroway than others with steadfast Palmer Joss. But I suspect all of us could agree that our experience of love and connection is at the center of our relationship with God. Arrival filmed two decades after contact, depicts first contact with aliens very differently. It occurs on our own turf, as floating monoliths appear over 12 locations distributed throughout the world. The contrasting strategies for communication in this film are embodied by its main characters, Professor of Linguistics Louise Banks and her physicist counterpart, Dr. Ian Donald. 
breakthrough does not occur via mathematics this time, but rather through pictograms, circular-shaped visual characters that communicate words and ideas with a timeless quality about them. Louise bridges the divide of language between humans and the heptapod aliens by removing her containment suit, breaking with cautious mission protocols, and entering into direct vulnerable, risky encounter with the aliens. Her hand touches the clear barrier, mirroring the aliens' gesture just to the other side of it. They are centimeters away from actual physical contact, a visual symbol of the greater phenomenon that is about to unfold in the mutual exchange of language. Arrival is filled with many surprises. But the closest parallel it bears to Pentecost can be seen in the shift the 12 countries demonstrate in their response to the 12 monoliths hovering over them. When the key powers overcome historical enmities, backing down from fear-based aggression and leaning into faith-based collaboration, the door is opened for mutual trust between humanity and the aliens, and even among the world's nations. This tale seems as far removed from our reality as the tale of Pentecost, but it offers a vision of hope to our polarized, fragmented world, tattered <coughs> by war, violence, and disease, hungry for a different future. Embedded in this fable, is another layer of transcendent personal wisdom. The idea that language can transform us profoundly. Louise begins the film with a voiceover narration in which she questions time's arrow, the linearity of life's events from the joy of birth to the tragedy of death. Once she learns the alien's language, her understanding of time itself is fundamentally and irrevocably changed, as is her relationship to love and loss. <coughs> she couches her transformation in terms of the sapper warp hypothesis, the linguistic idea that language shapes the way in which we think, perceive, and believe. This idea has some empirical traction in modern linguistics, although it has not achieved the status of a fully vetted linguistic theory. But beyond academic orthodoxy is our own irrefutable experience of the transformative power of language, of sacred stories, litanies, poetry, and personal narrative. <clears throat> they are the backbone of our shared worship. Language is imbued with great power more so than we realize. The story of Pentecost may seem just as alien as these strange tales of first contact. Each uses apocalyptic imagery to guide our understanding of the power and risk inherent in mutual vulnerability, transformation possible through language, and the essential human need for connection. We live in a divided world. Sacred stories and speculative films both remind us that divisions can be bridged 
by the sincere desire to communicate simply through. It is risky and at times frightening. The language we use will determine our success or shortfall. May we go forth today in search of new understandings and connections that remind us of the common ground of